Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Back at war. After Hamas breaks the seven-day truce, Israel steps up attacks on southern Gaza, and the U.S. offers a warning. As Israel defends itself, it matters how. How should Israel respond? I swore to eliminate Hamas. Nothing will stop us. South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham joins me exclusively. Plus, using faith as progressives split with President Biden over the war and other priorities. They won't vote. It's 2016 all over again. How much could that hurt Biden in the fall? Progressive Caucus Chairwoman Pramila Jayapal is here exclusively. And Teflon Don, six weeks before the Iowa caucuses and Donald Trump is trying to flip the script. This campaign is a righteous crusade. Can anyone counter him? Our panel will discuss. Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is six weeks from the Iowa caucuses, but this election cycle already feels a long time coming. In Iowa this weekend, former President Donald Trump is trying to turn to the general election with a brazen yet not surprising new claim that actually President Biden is the threat to American democracy, not him, even as Trump faces charges that he tried to overturn the 2020 election. President Biden's general election campaign was complicated again this week by the resumption of the Israel-Hamas war. Overseas yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris offered words of caution for Israel as it picked up its bombing campaign in an already devastated Gaza, where Israel is warning Palestinians who have already evacuated to the south to move again. After the U.S. says Hamas reneged on its deal with Israel to release the women they are still holding hostage. Here with me now is Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, sir. Uh, Let's start with the hostages. Hamas still has more than 130 hostages, including uh, the U.S. government believes eight Americans. What should Israel and the U.S. do right now to get them out? I guess just keep talking and, and, and I would talk, I would put more pressure on Iran. You know, Hamas doesn't exist without Iranian uh, help. Uh, you know, our soldiers are being hit in Syria and Iraq uh, by Shiite militia controlled by Iran. So what I would do is flip the script here. I would go to Iran and say, listen, uh, you know, you need to tell Hamas to let these hostages go. If you don't, you're going to start paying a heavier price. And you think that just that pressure on Iran will actually produce hostages being returned? Do you think it's potentially as simple? I mean, there's nothing simple here. I don't want to oversimplify it, but that is... No, 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 you're right. Here's what I believe. Mm -hmm. If Iran felt they were threatened by Hamas's behavior, uh, they would have Hamas change their behavior. But Israel's going back to the fight. So here's the big question. You know, Vice President Harris has said, you know, Israel's right to defend themselves. Uh, how you do it matters. The Secretary of Defense said it'd be a strategic failure for Israel to, to have killed too many Palestinians. I don't want any innocent Palestinian to die, but how do you do this? 
Vice President Harris, tell Israel how to destroy Hamas in a way not to hurt innocent Palestinians, and I'll pass it along. I don't know how to do this because Hamas is integrated into the apartments, the schools, and the hospitals. They have tunnels all over the place. Uh, the reason so many Palestinians are dying, I think, is because Hamas wants them to die. So if you got ideas about lessening civilian casualties, let me know. I'll tell Israel or you tell them directly. But the idea of Hamas still standing when this is over mm -hmm. would be the ultimate strategic failure. Well, the reason she said that, uh, obviously, and what uh, Secretary Austin said, which I'll get to uh, in a minute, is because yeah. they believe that too many Palestinian civilians have been killed. <laughs> do you agree with that? Well, tell us how to do it differently. Yeah, I, what, you know, what is too many people dying in World War II after Pearl Harbor? Did, did the American public worry about how many people were dying to destroy Tokyo and Berlin? I know this is not the same, but it's similar. I mean, after October the 7th, Israel's at total war with Hamas. What they did, you won't even show on television, probably because you can't. So the bottom line here is, is, is no Republican believes this, by the way. No Republicans telling Israel to change your military tactics because I don't know how to change them. Mm. I think the goal of destroying Hamas is important for Israel, really important for the Palestinians. And Hamas is making it impossible for Israel uh, to fight without hurting innocent people. There's the humanitarian aspect, which we were uh, just talking about. Then there's the yeah. strategic question, which you have uh, experience yeah. with in other parts of the world when the U.S. has been uh, in, in conflicts. Yeah. And so I want to go back to what you alluded to, which is what the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, said yesterday. He said, if you drive civilians into the arms of the enemy, you replace a tactical victory with a strategic <laughs> defeat, which he's saying that civilian casualties yeah. could create even more enemies. Yeah. Does he have a point? Uh, no, he's so naive. I mean, I've just lost all confidence in this guy. How about focusing on protecting our soldiers, men and women in Syria and Iraq? A strategic defeat would be inflaming the Palestinians. They're already inflamed. They're taught from the time they're born to hate the Jews and to kill them. They're taught math by if you had 10 Jews, you kill six. How many would you have left? It's like this is a tranquil population only inflamed after Israel goes in to defend itself. It's really naive. This is a radicalized population. I don't want to kill innocent people, but Israel is fighting not just Hamas, but the infrastructure around Hamas. Look what happened to the Israeli hostages when they were presented to the Palestinian population. It's beyond naive. Strategic failure is letting Hamas stand. But here's the question for the world. When Hamas is defeated, what happens next? That's when I want the Arab world, the United States, and the Western world to come in with a governing plan different than we have today for the Palestinian people. I want to come in for a better life for the Palestinian people after you destroy Hamas. Uh, well, a couple of things there. One is you said you've lost confidence now in Secretary Austin. Oh, you've been, yeah, you've been totally. a supporter. Uh, anybody. Yeah, well, I like Sector Austin personally, but this war has shown to me he doesn't understand. If we were attacked like this, which we were in 9-11, if somebody called for us within two months to have a ceasefire against al-Qaeda, that have been, we'd have laughed them out of town. We'd have run them out of town. You know, Secretary Austin is telling Israel 
things that are impossible to achieve. Secretary Austin, the reason yeah. Palestinians are dying, Gaza is so condensed, Hamas has tunnels under apartments, under schools, under hospitals. If you've got a better idea of how to destroy Hamas, pass it on. Quit just, criticizing Israel in public. I want to move on, but just to, just to quickly follow up, you well know that General Stanley McChrystal in another uh, war has called, I think what yes. Secretary Austin was referring to, insurgent math. Each innocent per person that is killed ultimately creates new insurgents. Do you agree with yeah, that? I, I get the theory, but here's what I would tell General McChrystal in Austin. The population has been radicalized for decades. You don't mm -hmm. get that. Do you know what they teach in the schools? The idea that somehow we're, uh, Israel is radicalizing the, uh, the people in Gaza is ridiculous. Okay. They've been radicalized by Hamas for years. Okay, so, uh, Senator, I want to talk about what uh, you and the Congress will do. As you well know, that yeah. there's a, a big tug of war over foreign aid to Israel and Ukraine. You and your fellow Republicans want to include border security mm -hmm. and new immigration restrictions. Yes. You haven't been able to make a deal yet. Would you still right. vote for that foreign aid if immigration is not included? No. I think there are votes for Israel apart from the package. Uh, Republicans overwhelmingly support Israel, so do most Democrats. Republicans are divided on Ukraine. Republicans are 100% behind strong border security. If you want aid to Ukraine, we need to uh, control our southern border. We're having, Dana, 9,000 people a day come for the last week. There's no end to this wave of illegal immigration. You have to change your asylum laws and your parole laws to stop the flow. So I will not vote for any aid until we secure our own border. Reform asylum, reform, reform parole is possible to do. Democrats don't want to do it. All Republicans want to do it. I'm not helping Ukraine until we up ourselves. Senator, you said this week that Texas Governor Greg Abbott should send migrants to states like Rhode Island and yeah. Oregon and Connecticut, where Democratic senators yeah. oppose this new mm -hmm. stricter asylum provision that you want. Have you heard back from Governor Abbott? Yeah. No, I'm going to go visit. So here's the problem. you got 11 Democratic senators signing a letter resisting changing the laws that attract so many illegal immigrants. Six, six million people were encountered in 2023. Texas has been overrun. The Democratic position is remain in Texas. What I'm telling Governor Abbott, why don't you send thousands of these illegal immigrants to the states uh, where these senators wrote the letters, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Oregon, and let them understand what it's like to live with a broken border. The towns in Texas along the border are virtually being destroyed. Six million people have come into our country illegally in FY23 with no end in sight. And what do you say to uh, those who say that these are human beings and they're not pa pawns on a chessboard and just moving them to different states uh, may not be the most humane move if you want to make a political yeah. point. Yeah. Well, is it inhumane to live in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Oregon, Rhode Island? It's about making it real to people who refuse to fix the problem. I've been involved in the, uh, immigration reform for decades. This is a national security problem. We have a completely broken border. Afghanistan started the rise of terrorism. Now you have the mass attack in Israel. This is not about fixing a broken immigration system system. It's about fixing a broken border. To my Democratic colleagues, if you don't understand what it's like uh, 
from illegal immigration overwhelming effect on your communities you need to experience. Look what happened in New York. Yeah. The governor uh, the, and mayor of New York are begging for help. So to my Democratic colleagues who want Texas to bear this burden, forget it. They should be sending them to you. It's not inhumane to live in Connecticut. Let's talk about uh, the 2024 campaign trail. Donald Trump called Obamacare yeah. a disaster <laughs> last night in Iowa after reiterating mm -hmm. his calls to repeal it. You, of course, voted to repeal Obamacare yeah. when Trump was president. Do you think that this is a winning issue right now? Would you like to see another vote again? If yeah, Trump yeah. I, I, here's what the good question. This is what we try to do when Trump, Trump was president. Let's block grant the money. The money that we have in Washington uh, to administer Obamacare is controlled by bureaucrats you'll never meet. Let's take that money, send it back to the states, make sure it's spent on health care, and see if governors and state legislators so you're okay with can come up for better ways. This, yeah, I'm okay. I'd like to get issue. the money and power out of Washington back to the states. Yeah, I think we should block grant it back to the states rather than let bureaucrats in Washington run our health care. Socialized medicine doesn't work. Get the money and power out of Washington. Get it in the hands of the people closest to the patient. Senator, before I let you That's go, I, I want to ask you about uh, your fellow Republican former Congresswoman Liz Cheney. She has a new book out. She sat down for an interview this weekend, and she said she's worried that the chance of a second Trump presidency means the U.S. is, quote, sleepwalking into a dictatorship. You, of course, have endorsed <laughs> Donald Trump. What's your reaction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a continuation of the Biden presidency would be a disaster for peace and prosperity at, at home and abroad. Our borders broken. The only person really going to fix a broken border is Donald Trump. When he was president, none of this stuff was going on in Ukraine. You know, Hamas and all these other terrorist groups were afraid of Trump. I think Liz's hatred of Trump is real. I understand why people don't like what he does and says at times. But in terms of actions and results, he was far better president for Biden. And if we have four more years of this, Liz Cheney, then we won't recognize America and the world will be truly on fire. Okay, Senator Lindsey Graham, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. And less than a year until Election Day, and progressives have a warning for President Biden. The chairwoman of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, is here. And again, it's just six weeks until Iowa and a lot of action there this weekend. We're going to talk about that coming up. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. 
This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to State of the Union. With the collapse of the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas, here in the U.S., Democratic divisions over the direction of the war and Biden's support for Israel are once again on full display. Here with me now is House Progressive Caucus Chairwoman Pramila Jayapal. Thank you for coming. It's nice to see you in person. Uh, Let's start with where we are right now with, with the war. The White House says very clearly that Hamas is to blame for the collapse of this temporary truce for a few reasons. One is that they refused to release the remaining women, some of whom, sounds like most of whom are 20 to 30-year-old women. Uh, they're hostage inside Gaza. They also renewed the uh, military attacks against Israel. You have repeatedly called for Israel to implement an indefinite ceasefire. but. Given what we have just seen with what I just described, is that realistic? Well, it's what has to happen, and I do think it's realistic. I think what we saw is after uh, you know many weeks of saying we couldn't get to a ceasefire, that was not going to happen, we did have a temporary ceasefire, and what happened? We were able to see a significant number of hostages released. We were able to get humanitarian aid into Gaza. And I think the long-term plan for what happens is incredibly important. Now you've seen Vice President Harris made a very strong statement yesterday. Uh, Secretary, Defense Secretary uh, uh, Lloyd Austin also was very clear that if you engage in urban warfare in the way that Israel did in northern Gaza, what you will do is perhaps win a temporary victory or reprieve, but you're not going to win the long-term strategic war. So the only way, Dana, to get through this is to make sure that we, first of all, do not have the kinds of casualties that we saw in northern Gaza. There's no way to do that with the kind of war that Israel is waging right now on Gaza. A couple of things. One is, um, you said it worked. Yes, there were hostages who were released, but it wasn't even an actual uh, hard ceasefire. They were just trying to get another day and Hamas wouldn't comply. So what makes you think that Hamas would comply with a longer-term ceasefire. Well, I think this is all about negotiation. Qatar has been incredibly helpful here. It's not clear to me from the reporting um, who was to blame for. Uh, you don't for believe the, the U.S. the Biden uh, administration that Hamas? Well, I just think it's very complicated. Young women. I think it's very, very complicated. Um, it's it's not. We don't have all the information in front of us. We uh, obviously can you know can rely on some statements that are made, but I think that. In these negotiations, everybody wants something. And I think Qatar has said that Hamas is still at the table. Israel should still be at the table. In fact, some of the hostages, are the Israeli hostages, are saying that Israel should still be at the table because this is complex negotiation. And it doesn't happen unless both sides are willing to come to some kind of an agreement. That's how we got the well, first that's, seven days. That's That's a really important point about both sides being willing to come to an agreement, because regardless of what has happened last week, and let's just say there is a more permanent ceasefire, you are hearing from Hamas leaders over and over again that the brutal massacre of the 1,200 
Israeli civilians was just the beginning, just a rehearsal, and that they want to continue to do it over and over again. So a ceasefire would keep that brutal terrorist regime in place in, in Gaza. I don't think that's true. I think that what is true is that Hamas needs to be taken out. It is a terrorist organization. How would you do that? But I think the way to do that, as many terrorism experts have said, is to create a durable and strong coalition of allies within the Middle East, with the United States, with Israel, to make sure that we have a long-term political solution, that there is an alternative to Hamas to lead uh, in Gaza and to establish a state for Palestinians. This is, I mean, we cannot, we have to condemn what Hamas did on October 7th. We cannot allow for 15,000 Palestinians to date to have been killed, three quarters of whom are women and children, and say that that is yeah. going to help us and, in the long the term. Listen. Morally, Dana, morally, yeah. but also strategically for Israel, the only way through this is to create a situation where there is a political solution that involves a Palestinian just, state and an Israeli state. I think state. ideally what you're talking about could make sense. It's just unclear how you get from here to there. Who's going to get rid of Hamas if, 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 uh, if, if there's no continued uh, war? And I think what you're relying on is um, the pressure from Arab states and they haven't been willing to it's, do that. It's so not far. just that, well, part of the reason they haven't been willing to do that is because we have been uh, allowing Israel to literally indiscriminately bomb hospitals, violate international humanitarian law. And so we are creating well, even pre -October, enemies. Okay, even pre-October 7th. Can I just ask you one more thing about that? You have seen the information and intelligence that Hamas has used its own civilians. The death of civilians are, it's horrendous. But Hamas has used its own civilians as human shields. Those hospitals and so forth are places where Hamas uh, keeps weapons and uh, keeps its, its uh, Hamas leadership, that they had their headquarters there. Dana, um, international humanitarian law says that you cannot attack a hospital unless uh, there, is, there are some circumstances. If, if rockets are fired from that hospital, that is one yeah. thing. But hospitals are protected. We have had refugee camps that are bombed. Um, right now, there are e even the only pediatric hospital in Gaza is not operating. If we want to defeat terrorists, we have to abide by international humanitarian law. That is just my fundamental mm -hmm. belief. And that it, at the end of the day, what we need is a lasting coalition that is not going to be formed if Israel continues to do what they are doing. And the United States cannot be backers of this kind of indiscriminate bombing. Um, that is my firm belief. Um, we should have conditions on military aid in the same way that we do to, for every other country. I want to ask you about uh, sexual violence. And the, it's kind of remarkable that this issue hasn't gotten enough attention uh, globally, widespread use of rape, uh, brutal rape, sexual violence against Israeli women by Hamas. Um, I've seen a lot of progressive women, generally speaking, they're quick to defend women's rights and speak out against using rape as a, as a weapon of war, but downright silent on what we saw on October 7th and what might be happening inside Gaza right now to these hostages. Why is that? 
I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think we, we always talk about the impact of war on women in particular. In fact, I remember 20 years ago I did a petition around the war in Iraq. Have you said, saying have that, you talked about it since oh, October absolutely. 7th? And I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women. the actions. Absolutely. The, the rape, the, of course. But I think we have to remember that Israel is a democracy. That is why they are a strong ally of ours. And if they do not comply with international humanitarian law, they are bringing themselves to a place that makes it much more difficult strategically for them yeah. to be able to build the kinds of allies to keep public opinion yeah. with them. And frankly, uh, morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the the women and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes, three quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible, but you're, you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, Well, Dana, I think women. we're not, we're not I, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppressions. Right. I think 15,000 people be. have been killed. It shouldn't be, and it, which is horrible. 2.2 million Palestinians live in a 140 square mile area, mm -hmm. which is about the size of Las Vegas, with a population that is four times that of Las Vegas, and, and 1.8 million Palestinians right now are displaced. Can they I, are living in shelters. They are being told to move to South Gaza, then South Gaza is being bo yeah. bombed. They're being told to move to North Gaza. There are no homes left. Yeah. The vast majority of infrastructure has been destroyed. This is not the way that we are going to beat terrorism, whether it's Hamas or some well, future that, iteration of Hamas. On that note, I want to talk about what this means domestically uh, for President Biden. You've warned that the way that the Biden administration, the president himself, is handling this war jeopardizes his support among progressives and Muslim American voters, and that they could actually stay home. Um, do you think that that is, how, how big of a threat, political threat, is that to President Biden, in particular when it's possible, at this point probable, that Donald Trump would be his opponent? And he's not exactly, um, warm when it comes to, to Muslims. Yeah, that's, that's an understatement. Um, look, I am a supporter of President Biden. I have been out there for the president. Um, and I will continue to be, even though I think that the way that this, uh, the handling of this war started was uh, unfortunately such that it has alienated huge communities. We have to be realistic about that. And we have to do work right now to address that, not just with outreach here, but actually looking at the situation in the Middle East and recognizing that Palestinians deserve the same respect, innocent Palestinians deserve the same respect as innocent Israelis. And we've got to talk about that. We've got to get to that long-term solution. And at the end of the day, the United States has its reputation to think about globally. And if we alienate all of our allies in the Middle East, that is not going to help us ensure that President Biden wins 
domestically at home. Before I let you go, I have to ask you about immigration. Yes. You just heard uh, Lindsey Graham saying that he's not going to support any aid to Israel or Ukraine without what the Republicans want, which is not just border security, but changes to the asylum laws and so forth. How is that going to get resolved? I, I don't know, other than the Republicans will have to be called out by putting a bill on the floor that includes that aid, but does not include decimating the asylum system, does not include going back to Trump uh, era safe, you know, what are called safe uh, countries. We called it the Trump transit ban. Um, without decimating parole, they are holding aid for Israel and Ukraine hostage to changes to the asylum system that would destroy the asylum system, things that they could not get done through regular order. And I think we need to put our foot down and say, no, vote on the aid package without those border policy changes and recognize that some of the things that the Biden administration have been doing have really been working, like the parole system, which has dramatically reduced the numbers of people from the four countries uh, that have just recently been granted parole to uh, by 90%. That is the kind of thing, establishing legal pathways is exactly the kind of thing that will address the border. Putting more money into asylum uh, officers, into judges, those are all things that the Biden administration has asked for in its supplemental funding that Republicans are saying, no, we don't want to do. So this is not about addressing the border. This is about destroying the immigration system something they have not been able to do through regular order, so they want to try and trade destruction of the asylum system for aid for Ukraine. That's just outrageous. We should say no and force them to vote against this critical aid if that's where they want to be. This is really going to be coming to a head very soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. And are we missing one of the biggest reasons Republican voters may be drawn to Nikki Haley? We're going to talk about that with my panel next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. But Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. So if Joe Biden wants to make this race a question of which candidate will defend our democracy and protect our freedoms and I say to Crooked Joe, and he's crooked, the most corrupt president we've ever had. We will win that fight, and we're going to win it very big, very big. Welcome back to State of the Union. My panel joins me now. Alyssa, this is probably one of the least surprising things you've seen Donald Trump do, right? I mean, it's, I don't know, I I don't want to call it evil genius because I don't, but but it's, but it's, it's so classic. There is something. He has something wrong with him. Uh, a, a negative, and he says, no, it's the other guy. And just just tries to flip it on its head, and you heard the audience eat it up. Um, it's kind of remarkable. I was watching some of the clips from Trump's visit to Iowa, and I'm stunned, having spent a lot of time with him in 2020 and years before, he is slowing down. There is a, there's a lack of sharpness in what he's saying um, and a lack of kind of clarity. There's another clip where he basically says he's going to overturn Obamacare, but then also says that he fixed it. Just complete inconsistencies. And for Republicans, our strongest case against Joe Biden is 
you know, the age and the decline that some of us have seen. And if I'm being honest, head to head, I'm not sure which is struggling more. I would say, if I'm the Biden campaign, I would say bring it on. This is, this is bringing the fight to a place that is good for Joe Biden, that is about who's protecting your freedoms, who's protecting your rights. I think one thing that Trump doesn't seem to understand is, you know, he also spent a lot of time in, in, the, in his remarks talking about tearing down Obamacare. Well, that falls under the, the, uh, the banner of taking away people's rights and freedoms. I don't think he understands that that's the way voters see it. They see it as him trying to take away a right that they've had for over a decade now. And he also so, had four years to do so, it and did it. And uh, also true. Also and the Republicans true. also tried over 60 times to do it and over, every time it failed because the American people overwhelmingly support Obamacare and want access to more affordable health care. I sometimes even wonder if Trump knows the definition of democracy because he might be getting it confused with another D word, meaning dictator. Because if he actually, I agree, I, he does the bait and switch, like let me say mm -hmm. that I'm one thing and then blame it on the other person. But if he, to Kate's point, if he really wants to make this about democracy, it is going to backfire in his face, particularly because there will be not just campaign ads run against him. He will be in trial about trying to overturn our democracy circa January 6th. So this is good for the Biden campaign in the long term. This is not what the campaign is going to be about. Look, though, this is an anecdotal one-off. I mean, the campaign's going to be, if Trump has his way, if he's the nominee, it's going to be about Joe Biden's week and the economy was better when I was president. It's going to be that simple. It's going to be postcard-sized. And it, he's going to have a lack of discipline and throw some things like this in every once in a while, but that's not what the campaign will be about. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. I am. But <laughs> I think it's what you will want the campaign yeah, to be yeah, about. He's that, utterly I mean, undisciplined. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Let, let's, uh, you know, we're just, we need to slow our roll a little bit because... There hasn't been any votes taken yeah. on the Republican side. And on that, uh, yesterday, Ron DeSantis completed the full Grassley. Mm -hmm. And for the uninitiated, that means that he visited all 99 counties in Iowa. But his campaign is, well, his numbers are, are falling. But the super PAC that his campaign has relied really heavily on uh, to do a lot of the, the legwork and a lot of the tough work, it's in turmoil. Another leader in the super PAC has, has this, left. This is, this is a classic case of a good example of his campaign in general. Like they have a big news day for the Iowa caucus, complete every county thing, and the staff becomes the story. I mean, it is a rule in professional campaigning, never become the story when you're the staff. Hmm. But in Ron DeSantis's world, from the very beginning of his campaign for governor the first time, the staff always ends up being a story. Because uh, when things don't go well, Ron DeSantis blames his staff and his staff's always infighting. So that is a, this is his campaign in a microcosm. And, you know, he was ahead by 11 points last February. He's behind by a cab ride right now. It has been a terribly run campaign. Now, they still have time to get it together. Uh, but execution-wise, there's been very little done right. Well, and the DeSantis folks will tell you they expect to overperform in Iowa. They think that they're going to outperform where the polls have had them. But, and I actually think that that is true, except the problem is he's in fourth place in New Hampshire. He's even lower in South Carolina. So the game plan, even if he pulls off a miracle in Iowa, it's looking like a thinner and thinner. Well, well the, world, and the, the world changes in Iowa. Yeah. I mean, Iowa picks the final two Republicans. And so you, overperforming in Iowa will have downstream consequences if he does it. But the stakes are higher for him in Iowa than anyone because he's said many, many times yeah. he expects to win, he has to win. And I think the narrative has built up over the last six months as his campaign has sputtered that Iowa is the last gasp for him. So unless he dramatically overperforms, he's not going to have a lot of momentum coming out of Iowa into New Hampshire where he's struggling. We got to talk about the Republican candidate, not Trump, who is doing well and doing better and is on the climb. Of course, that's Nikki Haley. 
Um, there was a story and a quote that really caught our attention about whether Nikki Haley is not getting enough attention herself because she's a woman. This is a, a quote that I want to read from Lauren Leader, CEO and co-founder of All In Together, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit uh, group. The mission is to engage women in politics. In any other world where you could potentially have the first Republican woman nominee in history, this should actually be garnering outsized coverage. Yeah, and a woman would, of color. Yeah, and a woman. I mean, I would agree. I think women in politics have a steeper hill to crime. We've never had, we've had a first black president, but never a woman president. And there is a reason because of that. When Hillary Clinton was running for presidency, the coverage that she got was overwhelmingly negative. It was, she was too cold. She was, uh, she was not a not likable, right? The term likable. Um, Nikki Haley, some would argue, might get the different coverage, but if it helps her, Oftentimes, the media doesn't cover her. Now, Kamala Harris, she is a history maker also, and we see the type of coverage. Now, all three of those women are imperfect, as every politician is, but when you compare the coverage that women get in yeah. politics to men, it's just not the same or as fair. And Nikki Haley, I think, is the most underestimated uh, politician, and she even kind of leans into that. She has agree with her, disagree with her, tremendous political skills. She's tended to perform best in the debates and seen boosts afterward. And of course, she got this huge boost from the Coke Network, which means money and ground game. So I think that's going to help her rise her numbers in Iowa, where she's not banking purely on Iowa. That's never been her plan. New Hampshire, expect big things. I think if Governor Sununu ends up throwing his weight behind her, someone who's always overperformed Trump in New Hampshire, that could be a tipping. Point. Okay, everybody stick around because we have more to talk about. The House Speaker believes he's going to have the votes to launch a Biden impeachment inquiry. We're going to talk about that next. You want me to say that I lost, that I'm humiliated? Fine. So I'm no longer Congressman Santos. I'm just regular old Professor Major General Reverend Astronaut Santos, Protector of the Realm, Princess of Genovia. That, of course, was Saturday Night Live uh, last night. What was with the cape? I, didn't, I don't remember him wearing a cape, but That's I. Th true, you know. But you know, it works. It works. Uh, welcome back. We are back with our panel, obviously. And the question is, uh, jokes aside, what do we think that the fact that Santos was expelled and Mike Johnson right beforehand uh, made a pretty rare move, because the speaker usually doesn't vote, to vote against expulsion and got the rest of the leadership to do it, and he was still expelled? Well, to be a Republican speaker, you are running a stable of wild horses, and you have to let the horses run some. You don't get to dictate everything they do. And I think Mike Johnson understands that. He knows that his big fight with the right flank of his party is going to be over budgetary needs. He knows his moderate, he's going to fight with moderates over budgetary things. And so a lot of these things, like the expulsion vote on George Santos, he's going to let the will of the conference dictate what happens. But I do think it shows how much the speakership has been diminished. Under John Boehner, I'm sorry, George Santos would have resigned. He would have known there was not an option to stay in conference and Congress and he would have walked out the door. But it's after the Kevin McCarthy 15 votes and now, you know, being the fourth choice for speaker, he doesn't pack the same power. So the real test is going to be, are you able to get through Ukraine aid, Israel aid? Are you able to fund the government? Those are big uphill challenges. Well, talk about the uh, stable of wild horses. One other way that he's trying to maybe... Um, let them run a little bit more is on the question of impeaching your former boss. Uh, I wanted you to listen to what he, the Speaker Johnson, said on Fox about this. 
A formal impeachment inquiry vote on the floor will allow us to take it to the next necessary step. And I think it's something we have to do at this juncture. Do you have the votes to actually formally start an impeachment process? Yeah, I believe we will. Well, if he's going to let them run, then I think this is not going to work out the way he wants to work out because you have Republicans in Biden districts who have said this doesn't make any sense. This isn't what my constituents want. This isn't focusing on their needs. And so I think if he's going to make this a test of his leadership, then we're going to see just how little power there is behind the throne. I think it's a strategic mistake yeah. for Republicans. It's an inquiry, though. At the end it's of big, the day. It's an inquiry. But, 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 but it people, takes up time. Yeah. It takes up headlines. At the end of the day, people want their members of Congress to be doing things to make their lives better. They are not interested in a political witch hunt, essentially, to borrow from uh, from Donald Trump. And uh, and I think that and that shows. And we've seen that, frankly, on both sides of the aisle. That's yeah, what we, said. That's what we said when the Democrats uh, impeached Donald Trump, though. But the, the, the voters didn't want to do that. So here we are again. But the difference is this is if Donald Trump is the nominee, this is exactly what Donald Trump wants. It does feed his 35 percent of the base. It doesn't feed those voters, those independent voters that are saying, move on. It, impeachment is not a very popular thing against Joe Biden. They did a whole inquiry and it fell flat on their face. I think if the Republicans do it again, this will backfire and it's Donald Trump 2.0, like a campaign. Mike Johnson is running a shadow campaign for Donald Trump that won't work for well, them in their the favor. The reality is it's dead on arrival in the Senate. That's just a fact. There's yeah. no so way the, the last Senate votes to, votes to convict. But it's also, there's a very slim House Republican majority. You are jeopardy. There's a boost to the DCCC, yeah. frankly. Absolutely. If you're going to, if you're Mike Lawler in, in New York, you're talking about losing moderate seats in D plus two districts. Absolutely. Mistake, sideshow, but um, it is what Donald Trump wants and it's what they're going to do. Absolutely. What do you think about that? Uh, will it, uh, some will Republicans it? will probably vote against it, but it's a, it's an inquiry. And, I, you know, we said when Donald Trump was impeached, this is going to mean every future president has an impeachment inquiry. Here we are. This is the next but will one. it hurt will the, the endangered uh, Republicans who are some of them will vote the against majority? it and get distance from Trump that way or from from the other Republicans that way. I mean, that that's this, this will be something that will not determine the election. Once again, it's going to be about the economy. But that, that in and of itself is a hyper partisan, hyper polarized argument, right? Just because we impeach Donald Trump for demonstrable uh, crimes against the Constitution means that Republicans are then in return going to impeach it, Joe Biden. It was a every partisan, future, it was a partisan impeachment president. that was dead on arrival in the Senate. I think that's time. exactly the it kind of argument. Time. But it wastes floor exactly time on the, votes that actually matter to constituents. And well, that's the kind I, of argument people are tired of, right? That's the kind of thing that voters say, you know, this isn't supposed to just be about scoring points. And what are you going to spend us? We're going to hurt you. Keeping the government open because that's going to come up to well, we definitely have well. found okay. a uh, an issue that animates people. Thank <laughs> you guys very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria picks it up next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.